Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal. No, no, no. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Botcher. I was just going to say, who's we that we keep referring to? But you're not Ross Botcher. I'm Ross Botcher. Hmm. Who are you? Hmm. I don't think that's right. <laughs> if I said it, it's true. And I know that because hmm. I'm Ross Blotcher. Ross Blotcher wouldn't say that. <laughs> How dare you? He that's, just That's Carrie Poppy, did. everyone. It's he Carrie. just did. Nope, he didn't. <laughs> and we're both in now. So <laughs> I guess, yeah, we introduced the show, right? So we're back to talk more about Travis McHenry. Yes, who is not Tyler Henry, much as my fingers... You want to type that? Want to say that that is him. <laughs> Tyler Henry being the medium. Yes, he's a young medium who claims that he's never watched TV and that's why he doesn't know any of the celebrities he's giving readings to. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I wonder what he says when you ask him what his t-shirt size is. Oh, yeah, because he's a smallish medium. I would assume he wears a medium. You think so? Yeah, how convenient. He he's could be kinda, like, he's I'm a thin. medium. He's a, he's a pretty thin guy. Okay. I think he might be a small. You never know. People really uh, surprise me with their shirt sizes. Sure. Yeah, you just never know. You got to ask. You got to ask. Well, this is a good episode. <laughs> uh, so last time we were talking about Travis McHenry, we encountered him at the Conscious Life Expo. We heard him tell us about the occult. Information I he should not have told us. If he wants to keep it a cult. <laughs> and I bought his two tarot, or two of his many tarot decks. Yeah. How many does he have? Like five or six? Which I've been carting all over the place with me. That's a good question. At least four. Okay. But good. I'd, I'd believe six. Okay. There's a lot of tarot decks, and I happen to be a collector of tarot decks now because mm -hmm. I have a problem. I like, I like a tarot deck, but I think I only have two. Though, as we said, these aren't true tarot decks, except that there is numerically. 78 cards, and they say on them the names of the traditional tarot. That's where it ends. Otherwise, it's just a collection of 78 cards that are very nifty looking. Oracle deck if you're being charitable. If even. Mm -hmm. Well, we also said that we learned more about Travis McHenry, and then we left you with just one piece of information. We thought, let's dive a little further into this new world of Travis McHenry. Yes, let's. So we mentioned it at the end of the last episode that he is a micro- nationalist <laughs> micro nationalist yes what size shirt does he wear <laughs> you know i don't know i do have an avenue now where i could ask him though oh right That's, yes oh that'll come up later yeah yes. yeah it sure will I, i'm excited about this update but it's the nations that are small not the man though he's probably sitting on the largest micro nation yeah, well, I mean, he's Duke? never been there, but yes. He hasn't even traveled there? I don't think so. Yeah, that's probably not easy because it's in Antarctica. It's in Antarctica. Yeah. Famously hard for humans to live there. And hard to get passage to, and even yep. then just to very select locations. Right, because of the Antarctic Treaty, because it's so cold there. And humans aren't really, quote unquote, supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the countries were like, okay, you do your science here. We'll do our science here. And then there's this one patch that no one quite claimed. And then Travis, while he was in the Navy, noticed this on a map. And he was like, that's mine. <laughs> and then the Navy was like, we don't like this. This is weird <laughs> what you're doing. And then he said, okay, I want to keep my job at the Navy. 
He stays for a bit. He lets some other people take over West Arctica. But when he leaves the Navy, he's like, I'm the Grand Duke again. That's already another interesting factoid about Travis McHenry is that he was in the Navy. Yeah, in the Navy. But yeah, as far as I can tell, nobody outside of Travis recognizes his grand dukeness yeah so he's written to a few different nations to be like yo i'm west arctica now what's up can you please officially recognize me (laughs) so i can have a letterhead yeah and they keep being like not really i suppose there are other micronationalists who recognize his there are yes yes so there is a microcon that is a meeting of micronationalists which again is people who say they are the leaders of nations they've made up Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) Microcon. People are amazing. (laughs) Microcon first met in Anaheim at the library right around the street from Disneyland. And that's where Travis first got interviewed by someone for the AP. And then that story bounced around quite a bit. Because AP is also a wire service, right? Yeah. So the story bounced around a bunch. He got a bunch of news then. And I think that's when his interest re-picked up in his little old project, West Arctica. Okay, fascinating. And it looks like he's handed out various titles. It seems like other micronationalists, like they have this kind of thing they do where they're like, hey, you get to be the baron of micro-sandunia yeah. or something. You know, like- <laughs> right, that happens. And then also if you go to West Arctica's website, they also have what you know looks like a board of directors or something, but it'll be... Like the female Earl of social media. Okay, sure. That's something to put on your business card. Sure. When we were working on our last episode, I messaged Susan Gerbic. Oh, yes. To ask her about the Wikipedia site. Oh, right, right, right. It's interesting. It doesn't mention his uh, cultism or his other pursuits, but there is a Wikipedia page that's really focused just on his micronationalism. And we had noticed like in the edit history that people had contributed Mm -hmm. and that there was even a little bit of controversy there. Like this isn't a real thing, this gap in the Antarctic treaty that allows someone to claim a large swath for themselves. But sure enough, Susan Gerbeck had some additional info. She wrote that the person who originally wrote the Wikipedia page was someone she recognized as a longtime paid editor. Okay. And it's still a thing, but is very frowned upon. Oh, okay. This huh. person was banned from editing Wikipedia in 2017. Oh, wow. So, okay. yeah, apparently huh. this was just someone who had come up on her radar before enough that she recognized the name. She also pointed out that there is a discussion of whether it passes notability standards, like okay. whether it should be an article at all, or maybe like a sub-article of some other article. And she mentioned that the kingdom itself had been a Wikipedia page, but was deleted, probably for that reason. Huh, that's interesting. So she didn't see any signs that Travis himself had edited the page necessarily, but he may have hired someone else to. Got it. Okay. Well, so West Arctica is also a nonprofit, and their whole thing is basically environmentalism. So I looked at their website a bit. It looks like according to their website, West Arctica was registered as a nonprofit in 2014, got their tax exempt status in 2018. Their main concerns are how the climate is affecting Western Antarctica, 
they say is one of the most fragile ecosystems on the planet. Good I imagine, concern. Imagine that's true. Yeah. Interested to know if they're doing anything material. They also point out that without them, West Antarctica has literally no defenders. They say. So they said <laughs> um, there is no single organization dedicated to studying and preserving this vast, magnificent, desolate region. It falls under the political dominion of no government. Thus, Western Antarctica has no voice in the international community. West Antarctica seeks to change that by acting as. Western Antarctica's advocate to the world. In line with our mission, we have established ourselves as an independent nation with self-granted sovereignty, free from the restrictions or obligations imposed by other countries. So their major concerns are climate change, penguin habitats, water security, protecting the blue whale, the emperor penguin, the West Antarctic ice sheet, and the Pine Island Glacier, and opposing international whaling. Okay. And they organize climate marches, and they offer graduate research grants to graduate students studying climate change. Read a nice list of those. Their research sounded normal. Okay. Yeah, the scholarship is $500 a year, so we're not talking big bucks, but they're doing it. It's cool. And you can see their campaigns at westarctica.org. So that all seems cool and normal to me. Okay, yeah. It warmed me up to the idea a bit. Yeah. However, if you look back at the website... From years before, I think Duke Travis was a little more forthcoming with how he was thinking about things. Uh, and um, <laughs> that this was, I assume, kind of a lark, something fun to do, e- an excuse to wear a blue sash and a gold belt and well, a bunch of medals. Yes, I think that's part of it. I think you're right that there's probably some just sort of circle jerk aspects of this, for sure. And there was a photographer who took Travis's picture years ago. He was doing an art collection about micro-nationalists, and he took Travis's picture. And when that photographer was being interviewed later, he said... I mean, one thing that runs through all of these guys is irony. They're all doing this Mm. with some level of irony. So that was that photographer's impression. But I do think he's an environmentalist. And his website used to say that he wanted to get tourism to West Arctica to, like, stimulate economy around that area. And I was thinking, you have not thought this through. Well, certainly bringing more people to that area is not going to help it for the aforementioned reasons. And does seem impractical. Yeah, so I don't know. I like a good media gag if that's all this is. But if he actually wants in there, I don't know that this is the guy to send in. Fair. I'm reading some fun little snippets on that Wikipedia page. As you mentioned, the military was not wild about his activities. It says, In 2006, after learning that McHenry had been communicating with foreign governments asking them to recognize the nation, the Navy required him to abdicate. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently, at least as of August 2018, West Arctica claims a population of 2,356 citizens, none of whom actually live there. Right. Fun, though. Yeah. Fun thing he's doing. Yeah, interesting. And if he's given out those scholarships, that's cool. I'm down for that. Sure. Apparently, West Arctica also annexed Kalsahara, his other micronation. Oh. Mm-hmm. So they are, now, mm-hmm. they are now linked. A little tiny plot of 117 acres, southeastern San Luis Obispo County, California. Okay. All right. Fun. We should go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, we can have a nice stay there at the resort, I assume, must be there. <laughs> a 2015 profile in Los Angeles Magazine described the project as good-natured. All right. Good. Which reminds me, when uh, my wife and I and our friends Keith and Randy were in Barbados not too long ago, there was this sign by the beach that pointed to 
places you'd recognize paris new york oh, uh-huh. london yeah other islands in the caribbean but then there was one sign that was pointing to taft california oh and where's that i had to look it up it's an inland southern californian mining oh, town okay with cool. a very very tiny population and i thought what is going on here <laughs> was someone from there so at least theories i've heard from people because i posted this online saying what is going on <laughs> so the theory i like best is that they somehow like chose each other as like sister uh-huh. cities that's a nice thought and we point to them for that reason i guess that often happens with signs or uh. as you suggest maybe whoever was creating that sign decided to throw in a little reference to their hometown rather than like los angeles if you did that call in yeah we want to know okay what else have you got on travis McHenry? Oh, I also want to say one other thing about micro-nationalists. Okay. If you look at different micro-nationalists on X, formerly <laughs> known as Twitter, uh-huh. which was already a stupid word, and now I have to say X. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but what do you call their posts? Tweets. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying. <laughs> a lot of them are xing about how or about climate change so i wonder Mm. if kind of as a group they've sort of thought about it and said well okay if the governments won't act as we wish they would as quickly as they would on climate change can Mm -hmm. we just sort of say well we're equal takers in this debate he has a country i have a country you got a country we all got countries talk to us I think that might be the theoretical move. Or they've worked their way back from a lark to an organizing principle. Sure, yep, uh, and there's that. Where they can feel like they're doing something. But maybe it's a good something. Yeah, maybe it's the equivalent of building something like the Satanic Temple so you can Uh talk about church-state separation issues. By all means, I'm all for anybody who wants to get in on the game of combating climate change. But don't send this guy down to West Arctica to protect it. I just don't (laughs) think he's the guy. Okay, but he has written a lot of books, plays, and even a movie, Ross. Yeah, he's so enterprising. Yeah, totally. So let me quickly tell you about seven books, plays, or movies written by Travis McHenry. Excellent. Play number one, 2005. Picture it. What were you doing in 2005? Well, it was one year after I had left the faith. Okay, perfect. You go to this play. It's called The Female of the Species. It's a three-act satire play for six men and four women. A young couple is... <laughs> I like that it's the female of the species and there's more men, but okay. <laughs> a young couple is finding their way around a small Australian town where the rules of society have completely broken down and the local population runs amok with comical results. Any fan of film or theater mm. will love this satire. I like both any, of those. Any fan of film or theater. Wow, of any type. Yep. Hey, I'd see it. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'll see anything Travis McHenry does, as we will establish. Oh, you know what? I just remembered I have one more thing to add to your list of books, plays, and film. Okay. He also wrote a song, or made a song. Okay, good. How could he not? He's so talented. He does so many things. (laughs) He does everything. Do you think he paints? Oh, he draws, right? He draws the cards, right? I assume. I don't think he's the illustrator, no. Oh. But maybe designer or collaborates with a designer. He wrote a song that feels a little Jerry Powell adjacent. Okay. Called Go to the Moon. Oh, okay. Which is an auto-tuned techno version of JFK's speech on going to the moon. What? Not because they are easy, but because they are 
Oh, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I listened to it and I was kind of digging it. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's over. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we should have played the whole thing on the podcast, but yeah, I'll, okay. So we'll play I just, it for you how later. Do you, how's that getting into my life? Go to the moon. Yeah, Travis McHenry. Okay, I don't think that'll Great. steer you wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. I can remember that. Okay, so next book was 2006. It was called Tales of Terror: Twenty Stories of Horror and Suspense. Oh. And this one was 20 stories written for all ages. So I think it was sort of like a um, scary stories to tell Young in the dark adult thing. kind of thing. Okay. All, all family kind of thing. Okay. Nice. Yeah. 2007, he gets into film. Okay. He makes the only film I think he's written, which is called Life on Mars. Good for this guy. I feel like he just wants to grab the world by the nuts and just do a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got ideas. He's going to act on them. Yep. You're right. He does, and he does. All right, wait, yeah. What, what about this film? Did Okay, he wrote it. Okay. It's by Mick the Red Films. I think that's probably his own production company. I don't know what Mick the Red means, hmm. but here's the description of the film. Sidney Ford has a problem. Two of them, actually. His overbearing wife and his tedious job. Seeking an escape from his perpetually unhappy existence, Sidney pulls his old telescope out of storage and starts spending his nights looking up at the stars, dreaming of strange new worlds. A world away, Tradoc and Kashawa are the last two living beings on the planet Mars. What? Their food supply is running out, and they are fighting for survival, dimly hoping for help from somewhere else in the universe. After Sidney's fantasies about life on Mars cause him to be more assertive in his marriage, his humdrum existence is forever changed when the dying Martians make first contact. Oh, my goodness. Wow. How did that one come about? That's interesting. Well. I want to see how they shot the Mars scenes. So I'm sending you two things. Mm -hmm. One is a trailer for the film. Okay. And the second is a super cut of about seven minutes of the film, if you want to scrub through. Ah. But boy, is the tone of this movie unpredictable. Those two movies going on, yeah. the one that's on Earth and the one that's on Mars. Oh. Wow. Different. So different. They really feel intrusive on each other. Okay. Watching the, I'm watching the teaser. Mick the Red. Well, Mick, like Mick Henry, maybe he had red hair. I don't know. You've seen That's more. That's a good guess. You've seen more of his body hair than I have. Is he redheaded? <laughs> I'll check. Okay. Not bad on shooting the, the Mars scenes. Just went with kind of like a monochromatic rust color. Mm -hmm. Yep. That works. Staring. <laughs> oh, the film is staring. John... Oh, no. There, there's a bunch of names, including Travis McHenry, but yeah, they're all staring in the film. Oh, no. They got to <laughs> give them lines. <laughs> all right. Well, the teaser definitely was a teaser, but I'm not turned off yet. Yep. Wait until you see this other piece of it. <laughs> okay. I see what you're saying. Like <laughs> The on Earth action is all comically acted feels like frenetic. a christian movie it's got like everyone's being under everything <laughs> yeah, sure yeah lots of uh, extreme close-ups and yeah yeah totally different feel from when it gets all super self-serious yeah. on mars in monochrome yeah okay right? strange i am intrigued yeah, okay life on mars thing. interesting and he's also got the go to the moon so all right oh, dudes yeah. into astronomy okay 
All right. Next up was a play in 2010 called Delusions of Grandeur. Okay. Let that sink in. (laughs) All right. Could be ironic. Now, here is the description. And I want you to keep in mind that this is four years before West Arctica was founded. Okay. Delusions of Grandeur is a two-act comedy for two men and five women. When the Campbell family's troubles with their neighbors become too much for them to bear, a family friend decides they should secede from the United States and start their own country, so long as they agree to make him king. As his delusions of grandeur become more and more out of control, (laughs) proclaiming himself high priest and embarking on a campaign of genocide, among other things, the family begins to lose their patience with the new autocrat. The domestic discord is brought to a climax with the sudden arrival of another self-made ruler from afar who infuses an unexpected bit of sobering reality into the situation. Oh my goodness. Yes, that does feel predictive. Yeah. But he's like what? lampooning the thing that he he's about to is do? yet to become, minus the genocide, I presume. Hopefully. <laughs> Well, I ordered the play, so we'll have that soon. Great. Then in 2014, he wrote An Occult Guide to the Tarot, and that's described as a comprehensive guide to the world's oldest, most popular form of card divination. And I think this is about when he realized, oh, I can- Just make tarot decks. Yeah, people love tarot. Yeah. Then next, 2015, he wrote a novel called The Murder of Michael O. Stogner. That's a tale of an eccentric American aristocrat seeking murderous revenge upon a common man who, through a series of unlikely accidents, destroyed his life. His quest is an obsession, causing him to commit many heinous deeds and driving him to the brink of madness. I've got to say, plot lines are at least grandiose. Yeah. I'll give him credit for scale. The popular acclaim on the back cover of this one, there's three quotes. One is... This novel is a testament of hate. It offends every moral principle I hold dear. Yet I couldn't put it down. Neil W. (laughs) (laughs) Neil, you're an interesting character too. Next one. To read this book is to become a disciple of madness. It is not for the faint of heart. Deborah M. And then the third piece of popular acclaim on the back is... The author's hatred for Michael Stogner is so profound, you'll want to murder him too. Daniel M. Uh, These are pretty good. (laughs) All right. Okay. And then finally, he writes Into the Abyss in 2016. Now, this book has 3.3 stars on Amazon. It has three reviews. And may I read you the only five-star review? Oh, I need to write another review now. But yes, please. Okay, here's the only five-star review. This book is very entertaining and well-written. I'm not saying this just because I'm the author's mother. Mother! Mother. (laughs) Amazing. Yep. Okay. That's it. Uh, Good job, Mom. That's your job, and you did it. Almost did it. Well, (laughs) oh, you're saying maybe she could Don't identify yourself! Oh, fair. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to help in that 
way. Be cool about it. I thought you were saying maybe there's more she could have done in his childhood to, pre- to prevent this. <laughs> no, but it reminds me of when I was a kid and my dad's a landscaper and he would make these beautiful gardens that showcase houses and stuff. Yeah. And then my mom would mill about and like pretend to just be a fan. <laughs> but then like there would be two children standing there. It was like very obvious setup, but she would be like, oh, are you the... Did you design this? Oh my god, it's so beautiful. Anyway, uh, that's, anyway, that's how, and also a little disturbing. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm all for her being honest with that. That's funny. Mm. So that happens to be the book that I read because Into the Abyss. The subtitle is The Memoirs of a Paranormal Adventurer. And I totally thought, up our alley. Oh, Thank you. Okay. So Travis McHenry, atheist and cultist and priest of Anubis and songwriter and playwriter and author and a micro-nationalist. micro-nationalist. Why am I burying the biggest parcel of land? He has thoughts on paranormal investigations. So do we. <laughs> I've got to hear this. So I bought the book on Kindle. Here's the cover I'm showing Carrie. This looks very, I think even you will recognize the series. Indiana Jones. That's right. So he's yes, using the Yes, little... I like Indiana Jones. Oh, good. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well I done. I like it. A C plus. He's using the, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Is that what you're giving a C plus? No, Indiana Jones in general. That's <laughs> yeah. good, though. All right. C's average. It's above average. Sure. So, yeah, he's using the font there, and he's wearing the you know fedora and jacket. I don't know. It's been run through... Oh, shoot, I can't even remember what the name of that Photoshop filter is. But it's a picture of him wearing the hat, trying to be Indiana Jones-like. And I later learned... Most of the details are gone. It's, like, washed out. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those, like, artistic filters. Like, we're going to make it look like it was done with uh, charcoal or Conti crayon or something like that. papyrus, maybe. Sure, yeah, fine. Yeah, some paper with (laughs) texture. And he's holding up what I later learn is the fragment of a Gigantopithecus jaw. Oh, okay. Okay, so... The dimensions look wrong on that, but I bet we can't enjoy this book with that level of specificity, so let's uh, move on. Yeah, I'll buy it. Okay, so he's been busy all along here, but I feel like there is a timeline to Travis McHenry that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And this book was originally published in 2006. I get, Oh, okay. I get the sense that he's about our age, uh-huh. my age, I should say. And so I'm just going to assume like... His point in life at 2006 is roughly equivalent to mine. So I don't know. That's what my brain's doing as I'm looking at all this. But I also noticed that the edition I was reading was a third edition published in 2016. Mm -hmm. So did he go into it and make updates or was it just Mm -hmm. like put it on a new platform? I don't know. Part of me, of course, is curious like, oh, what's different between the 2006 one and the 2016 one? But I feel like if I was... Going back in my 2016 and revisiting a book I'd written like that in 2006, I'd be making major changes. That's a good point. And he did not, or at least this is the version that escaped to 2016. Okay, well, this might be a little bit of a giveaway. In his acknowledgments list at the beginning, one familiar name popped out, Stanton Friedman. Ah, yes. Who we briefly met at the Ozark Mountain UFO conference. Yeah, or the the bad restaurant attached to it. Right. Though we heard him lecture, at least at the conference. A very pivotal figure in the ufology community. Yes. Who is no longer with us. Yes. And yet he's still answering everything I say in the same way. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so in Travis's introduction, he said, There should be some literature available for the seasoned investigator to further their understanding of paranormal theories. Okay. 
Too many authors and publishers are focused on pleasing the public and are unconcerned with advancing the scientific method. Okay. I'm with you closing the book. (laughs) And they're just like simply recording data. So his book aims to do just that. Okay. To go further. Yeah. To promote theories. Theory. Okay. And he says... I strongly encourage the reader to tear apart the theories discussed here and then put them back together to see if they truly hold any water. Okay. So let's do that. Okay. And I like this little note as well. If I were a conventional scientist, each of the following chapters could be released one at a time in a peer-reviewed journal. Unfortunately, there is no truly respected medium for paranormal investigators for this purpose. Uh. So as you start to hear his theories, just... Picture how well they might do in a journal. Okay, I will. (laughs) All right, so he's got multiple chapters focused on different topics. So Bigfoot is the first one he tackles. Heard of him. What would you guess? Would you guess Travis believes Bigfoot is real or not so much? Real. Okay, that is correct. Yay! He says, my personal estimate is that there are somewhere around 2,000 Bigfoot creatures living throughout the continental U.S. and Canada. Okay. Not to mention... Not Mexico? West Arctica or other regions of the world. Okay. Um, Oh, maybe they want a cold climate. Yeah, I think that's part of it because he does talk about them being in the Himalayas as well. Okay. Yeti and the Yaren. I hadn't actually heard that phrase before, but (laughs) uh, yeah, he'll have some more thoughts on that. So one of his theories had to do with how Bigfoot eats. Okay. And he said, well, maybe it just eats like the same diet that a bear would. That would make sense. But if Bigfoot is equipped with a hindgut fermenter, as mm-hmm. it probably is, obviously, yeah. then it would be able to effectively digest vegetation and gain increased energy proportional to its digesting slash fermenting time. So I looked this up, and the animals that have a hindgut fermenter, which just means they can process cellulose Mm -hmm. with some onboard bacteria, that is found in horses, rhinos, rodents, rabbits, and koalas. So be very Ah. strange for a member of the ape family to suddenly develop a hindgut. So I know that rabbits are coprophagous. Is this part of it? He's talking about them eating their own poop? No, just the ability to eat plant matter. Okay. Get use that as yeah use that as a primary energy source. To be fair, there is foregut fermentation in sloths and some monkeys, so maybe a little more plausible. But already to me, it just sounded like I spotted a feature in the animal kingdom, and you can just kind of mix and match and apply Mm -hmm. those however you want. Just seemed like a little unaware of how evolution works. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. you'd have to like independently re-evolve that if it's something roughly in the hominid ancestry. I see. This was, I thought, a telling quote. He said. Sure, these reports may seem very unlikely, but when the people reporting them are sane and rational individuals, then we must take their sightings at face value. Oh, wow. And I thought, "Ah, not face value. Sure, take them seriously. Think about them. But face value seems a a step too far. Oh, my God. Yeah, eyewitness reports of ordinary things are unreliable. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about Bigfoot? Yeah, extraordinary things. He talks about a theory that... Maybe the reason a lot of people see these Bigfoot, but not clearly, is they might be ghosts. That You might just be seeing the ghost of a Bigfoot. sure. Why not? They can have ghosts too. Okay. And he's not trying to suggest that all Bigfoot are ghosts, but a select few of the Bigfoot that have died may be ghostly beings and may still be living on either as intelligent or non-intelligent entities. Great theory. Let's publish that in a journal. (laughs) 
My lord. And it's jumping to such a bigger claim to explain a smaller one. Yeah, I think this is the moment at which I had kind of held him in my mind at this point. It's like, okay, he seemed like a fairly sober explainer of the occult at our talk. Uh, but all of a sudden I realized like, okay, something else is going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally, I'm skeptical of Bigfoot. I'll admit it. But at least Bigfoot is supposed to be an animal. He looks sort of like other animals I know. He's living. Mm-hmm. He is carbon-based. A ghost? Like that's even, what's one step further? You're explaining with a ghost? That's even harder to explain. Yeah, okay. Bodies survive death now? Mm-hmm. It doesn't well, help me understand. Well, They're further away. All right, well, don't get too comfy in that location because Travis also suspects that He's heard there's a number of instances in which a Bigfoot is spotted near or around the same time as a UFO. Oh, sure. So he says, well, maybe the inhabitants of the UFOs are just interested in Bigfoot like we are (laughs) and like they're interested in us. Why is Aunt Gail always the one who sees Bigfoot and UFOs and ghosts? Oh, I guess they all like Aunt Gail. No. Talk to Aunt Gail. See what she's been eating lately. Mm -hmm. Make sure she's getting her vitamin B. Though, of course, he allows that there's another possibility that some alien species just happen to resemble Bigfoot-like creatures. Do you ever think about that, Carrie? (laughs) Yeah. There's that possibility, There's all this isn't it? Face value accepting of stories that really just allows him to kind of do all the mental backflips to be like, well, it could be this. And if we're talking about aliens dressing up as Bigfoot, how about people? How about people dressed up as Bigfoot? <laughs> Funny that you should mention men in suits. Mm-hmm. He also says the Patterson film, referring to the Patterson Gimlin film, the famous one you all think of when you think oh, of okay. Bigfoot is by far the most conclusive photographic proof of the creature, and there is no shortage of skeptics who simply refuse to believe that the creature in the film is real. Oh, that's perfect. If he admits that that's the best evidence, then I don't need to think about this more. (laughs) Yeah. So, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. pretty well established as a hoax. Yeah. He's not even picking up on something more impressive than that. That's bad footage. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. It is. Now, again, I keep thinking, okay, well, you wrote this 17 years ago. Maybe you've evolved over time. I know I had lots of little pet theories. We'll get to aliens here, but I remember being maybe not convinced, but I had this like working theory I was really proud of that aliens are demons in disguise and they're just trying to sort of distract us from oh, yes. spiritual oh, matters. Oh, there's a Cristiano Brothers movie like this. That explains why you often smell sulfur in their presence. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I had it. I thought I had it all worked out. So <laughs> I, I kind of get this mental frame of mind. I remember another one was that I was really proud of myself for having thought like, okay, well, people have a hard time with God having created the world and created time. He exists on a higher dimension. So he's like a fifth dimensional being. So he created- 5D, you're the inventor of 5D. You know what? I didn't realize, but I guess I did come up with it. (laughs) So, you know, when he created the world, he created time. And I was so proud of that. I thought I really cracked the code here. So I get this kind of problem solving, (laughs) but hopefully eventually over time, you start to learn a little more and realize, okay, wait, we need to constrain this thinking a little bit. Right. Realize we're just playing with words and not actually solving anything. I just satisfied my cognitive dissonance for a few minutes. (laughs) into the real world again. Referring to Bigfoot potentially being aliens, just that look like Bigfoot. He says, I'm not saying all of these types of aliens exist, but 
that these bizarre sightings require an explanation. And I think this is the best, most reasonable one. Okay. They're just one of many alien species. This is an interesting quote. He was talking about whether Bigfoot were just another humanoid that kind mm. of existed to present. He said, yeah. well, it would be a treat for evolutionists to prove Darwin's theory correct. I do not oh. I do not think proto-human is the proper classification for Bigfoot. Do you think he doesn't believe in evolution? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Again, I don't know. This is the guy to send to the place that's mostly allows scientists in. You'll hear there's a few digs at science and scientists oh. in this book Uh-oh. that I have saved here. He had been wandering around Pennsylvania in the snow. A lot of these stories are Pennsylvania-based, East Coast-based. That was just his haunting ground, literally and figuratively. But he had found a three-toed track in the snow. Okay. And apparently he'd been following the track for a while and none of it felt quite complete or formed but then he finally found one like oh this is a little bigger than my large 11 and a half size shoe that he was wearing i found this big print and sure enough it looks like something like a, a human foot but with three toes and again you have to say okay well when did that evolve mm-hmm. why do we have a three-toed bigfoot and he was pointing to other molds that have been found and even admitted that one might be faked he'd heard something suggesting that he found this footprint himself though yeah in the snow and he took a photo of it yeah but it also reminded yeah it could be a weird shoe right or this reminded me of reading abominable science because they were talking about how one of the most famous yeti prints was a case of that where you had a bunch of tracks in the snow sure enough something had been making impressions but the one photo that was taken just happened to be where two prints were laid on top of each other and kind of compounded to create Uh, a new and interesting uh shape I suspect maybe something like that. Yeah. Could well Especially be. if he's looking at all these other ones going like, eh, that's not, not quite, interesting. Not quite, not that's quite. Not, ooh, 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 I'm going to mm-hmm. take a photo of this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When answering the question of why we don't find remains of Bigfoot anywhere, he said, my conclusion is that Bigfoot is a modern day flesh and blood gigantopithecus. Those went extinct 350,000 years ago, as far as we know. That has no paranormal abilities and no direct relationship to UFOs or aliens. Okay, why? Well, you're just putting it all out there then. Yeah, and why do you think that? Yeah. um, He's not arguing for any of these points of view. He's just stating them. I mean, he's just setting up enough thought process and data that he's gotten. And this data could just be in the form of people's stories. Yeah. Or something he found in the woods that made him think, oh, well, look, they're territorial because I found this tree bark up on this tree where I wouldn't expect it to just fall. Mm -hmm. So that's probably a Bigfoot marking its territory. It just feels like he's so ready to jump into a theory. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like motivated reasoning. But he'll also make these kind of definitive statements like about his conclusion. And a Gigantopithecus is a hominid. And it's extinct, so it's kind of like a Nessie-like claim, though it hasn't been extinct quite that long as like a plesiosaur. Anyways, yeah, it's just, it feels contradictory and unsupported. This is a great quote. He submitted a photo of the three-toed track to the producers of Coast to Coast. Oh, Art Bell. Yeah, I assume he was still host at the time. And he said, this is weird, because in the book he's talking about it being like, oh, I found a three-toed Bigfoot. <laughs> now he's saying... I gave it to them with the suggestion that it might belong to a Thunderbird. Oh. Because he's thinking about how birds have three toes pointing one direction and one pointing a different direction. Mm. 
This idea was met with considerable hostility after it was posted to the show's website. Everyone was sure it belonged to a Bigfoot and refused to entertain any other possibility. What wonderful mainstream scientists they'll make someday. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> so he thinks it's a Bigfoot foot or he doesn't. Now he does. I guess they talked okay. him into it. I don't okay. know. Or it could be. I feel like uh, in, in his mind, all of this is just this soup where the possibilities are brimming and exciting. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's like Linda Moulton Howe that way. The, the wave function never needs to collapse into yeah. solid reality. Yeah. Isn't this all interesting? Yeah. Which... <laughs> <laughs> is really hard for me to respond to. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, or or model in my own head cuz yeah. well didn't you read what you just wrote on the last page? Right. There was a fun little note about how trail cameras probably don't capture these big foots, big feet, however you want to pluralize it, because I have a friend who realized that they emit these ultrasonic frequencies that Bigfoot can hear and other animals can hear and it turns them away. They know to avoid it. Okay. First of all, okay, why don't other animals get turned away from these trail cameras and they show up all the time? But he said, I'm not going to get into the technical side of it because my friend is thinking of creating a gotcha cam that won't emit that frequency. And, you know, Mm. maybe it'll capture a Bigfoot. As far as I know, that hasn't happened. But then he follows up and says, so that friend admitted that in all of his years of using this equipment, he only had one blurry, inconclusive photo to show for it. He is now abandoning the techno search and moving towards a shamanistic approach mm. that includes such alternative sciences as remote viewing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Good luck. Yep. When your technology gets too good and you have to abandon the technology that would have gotten you a Bigfoot. Why not look for spirit Bigfoot instead? Remember when I showed you that really bad drawing of the alien that Linda Moulton Howe was presenting? Yes, that was a child's, yeah. (laughs) I didn't notice until later that it said in the caption, this was drawn by a remote viewer. Ah, I wonder if that was an adult remote viewer or maybe they had their eyes closed. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oh, like they maybe they had a blindfold on. It named him, and I'm pretty sure it was uh, an adult. Okay. And one other story he told in that chapter was about a professor. He went to this college where he (laughs) he double (laughs) majored. Sorry, I started thinking about telling someone like this art is good if your eyes were closed. Okay, sorry. Okay, back to, okay, Travis went to college? Yeah, he had a dual major in acting or theater, I think. Okay. And anthropology. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. And so there was this professor who taught a pseudoscience course there. Oh, okay. I'm listening. And when he told her that he believes in Bigfoot. Yeah, that went great. Here's his quote. He said, her response bordered on hysteria. She began ranting and raving, telling me that Bigfoot is just a myth. I then calmly explained to her that I was going to find Bigfoot someday and prove that it existed and that I would be on the cover of National Geographic. Oh, okay. This would be more impactful if under that there was the cover of National Geographic and he was on it. Yeah, that would be very impressive. Yeah, then I'd be like, whoa, good point. But the promise still lingers. Yeah. Let's try to get him on there. Maybe he'll find it in West Arctica. Oh, yeah, there we go. But he says somehow she was successful in preventing me from ever taking her pseudoscience class. What? 
I feel like there's more to the story yeah. and the exchange between him and this professor. I mean, Ross, there is a non-zero chance that that professor listens to this show. Oh. We have a better chance than most. Good point. I looked for her last name, Dr. Weimer, W-Y-M-E-R, in National Geographic, because the way he wrote one of her responses kind of made it sound like she had already been on the cover of National Geographic, <laughs> but it wasn't definitive. Let's dive into... UFOs and aliens. Let's hear some of his uh, theories there. Okay, it's Deanne Weimer of Bloomsburg University. If you're out there, Deanne, we want to talk to you. She's still there? Yeah, Uh, I don't know. She's showing up on academia.edu. Okay. So to his credit, he started his musings on UFOs and aliens by mentioning that he and his friends had once spotted an object in the sky and they were all excited. They started chasing it in their car. And finally, they just pulled off onto a hill and they're like, "Okay, we're going to stop and figure this out. Mm -hmm. So they get out. And after roughly 20 minutes of careful observation, we determined that the UFO was nothing more than the planet Venus. Oh, okay. But I'm proud of them. Yeah, Yeah, they figured it out. Yeah, well done. He mentioned a couple... Popular sightings cases, the Pine Bush phenomena in New York, and also the 1965 Kecksburg UFO crash in Pennsylvania. And both of those Brian Dunning had done Skeptoid episodes on. So I was able to kind of like read Travis's account and then read sort of like the actual contextual history and police reports. And both of those were figured out. Pine Bush phenomena were planes flying in formation. Mm. And they tracked down exactly which flights it were. The dates matched up. There was a nearby okay, ladies. base. Now let's get in formation. Okay. Beyonce. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. And then the uh, Kecksburg UFO crash. There were a bunch of stories that evolved and changed over time. And even Travis seems to acknowledge this. Like, yeah, this feels a little like it's not all adding up. Mm. But he felt there was something still there. But it turns out that there was truly a hypersonic bolide that streaked through the sky on that particular night, yes, people did mm. see something in the sky. It's a bolide? A meteor. Oh, okay. And yes, there were a few officials that were sent out to look to see if it might have been a crashed Russian probe that they thought was mm. out in the sky, but that thing happened to land somewhere completely different, so it wasn't that. Anyway, so that one was also solved, but uh, you wouldn't know it from reading Travis's book. <laughs> he did at one point mention him being 16 when he got a book of this report on a UFO, so his interest goes back at least to the age of 17. Okay. Oh, this was fun. So he talks about reading a popular science article that fueled one of his other big theories about aliens. Mm. It was talking about how humans will look in 100,000 years. I haven't seen this popular science article, but this is how he described it. He said that humans would get thinner and smaller to accommodate the pressure of increased population. Okay. And because they've been using automation to do all of the like heavy lifting work, they're going to lose all their muscle mass. Mm. And they're going to have even larger brains and larger eyes. And why would they need like hair or nails or lips or external ears? Like all of these little extra vestigial pieces oh, will slowly disappear. Really ahead of the game by being bald then. <laughs> and skin color will no longer be a discriminating factor because uh, you'll have centuries of interracial breeding that will leave the entire species with a pasty gray skin tone. Oh, wow. I'm thinking, how is that, think that How is that the average of our <laughs> of our current skin tones? But he said years later then he thought about this and realized, wait a second, they're just describing gray aliens. <gasps> uh, it's us from the future. Oh, it's like Bill and Ted coming back to talk to Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah, but uh, less tubular. Yeah. Is that a word they used? Yeah. 
So he really runs with this idea. And he says, you know, I do believe that there's life on other planets, but hear me out. How weird is it that, and this is actually a good point, how strange is it that some alien would have our same body structure? Yes. Good point. So he's saying, okay, they could just be future emaciated versions of us. And the way he feels this all works out is that they have gotten to this point in the future where they've lost the ability to reproduce, you know, and you see them without any Boy, this is bleak. genitalia. So now they're going back in time to tell ab- us to save the planet. No, to abduct us and get oh. our DNA. Oh, <laughs> find <laughs> wow. a solution. Uh, Damn, but, you know, okay. I bet he'd run with that one too, because why not? <laughs> yeah, it seems uh, in the MO of West Arctica for our future selves to come back and be like, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's also really intrigued with this grandfather paradox, the idea where like you can't see your own grandfather, you can't interfere with the things that are going mm-hmm. to create you. Mm-hmm. So they're very vigilant about trying like not to let people know about this whole plan and to like even seed the doubt by saying that it's some other planet inhabitant mm. who's come here rather than ourselves coming back to this is pretty far out indeed i like this theory more than most of the alien theories okay it's more interesting yeah he was also saying that when let's say the government has discovered aliens or crashed crafts the aliens talk to the security guys and say hey you know this needs to remain secret because this is who we are and then the government says oh shoot yeah okay well this is important you, agree, Mr. you convinced us okay yeah. i'm sure that's how that goes down that's how international relations always goes down one person's like can we just like be cool and the other person's like a hundo. yeah yeah a hundo yeah man we cool absolutely i'm so glad you mentioned it i wasn't gonna be cool to you but now that you've said it we are absolutely cool yeah great dude we cool he keeps running with this like oh but They have to take precautions because they have all these futuristic diseases that would be transmitted to us. So they're probably like they're abducting people multiple times. And the first time they immunize them. And then the next time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Keep keep working this out. (laughs) At least Travis is busy. (laughs) He's a busy man. He's busy. He's got a lot to do. He's got a lot of ideas. He's got a lot of stuff going. (laughs) He said, this felt very Linda Moulton Howe to me. I did try twice to release this theory to the public. It seemed to go nowhere. In 1998, (laughs) I mailed an unsolicited handwritten note containing the basics of my theory to eight prominent UFO researchers. None (laughs) acted on or repeated the information, so I presume they simply found it preposterous. Okay. Or maybe they just never got around to reading your thing. Yeah, did you ask for a reply? (laughs) I think that also was a little insight into his mindset. He just kind of assumed the worst of their mindset. Yeah, yeah. But just in case this does happen to be true, he's already christened these aliens as Homo Futurus. Very clever. Oh, yeah. Future human. Okay. You know what I think Travis McHenry is not? Take your time. Currently a deacon of a church, a Baptist church. Another? He is not a Formula One race car driver. Another? A projectionist at a local theater. Oh, well, that's true. But I was thinking he's not a square. No, 
No, that I would never call him a square. Absolutely not. No one could accuse him of that. Mm -hmm. And least of all, Squarespace. They would never say such a thing. They would never. Because they tend to tell the truth. It's reputable. It's an all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Let's say you're enterprising like Travis. Maybe you want to publish something. Maybe you've got a project to share. You're starting a new account Mm -hmm. on a site that you want to advertise. You need a website for you. Yeah. And how do you do that? Well, you will stand out with a beautiful website and engage your audience and sell anything you want if you use Squarespace. And every Squarespace website comes with an online store, Mm -hmm. a suite of integrated features, Mm -hmm. useful guides, Mm -hmm. search engine optimization, Mm -hmm. all of that. It's right in the box. And with Squarespace extensions, you can connect your store to vetted third-party tools to extend the functionality of your site. They've also got Fluid Engine. That's the next generation website design system from Squarespace, which is all baked into a browser. You don't have to download any special software or anything like that. You nice. Know, whatever device you're on, you just go to the website, you go into the admin portal, and you start working on your website on the website. It's amazing. I love that. I really do. Mm-hmm. I really prefer that websites just like, let me use your freaking website. Oh, make yeah. Make it usable. Oh, yeah. I've- don't make me get your dang app. I've spent lots of time in various web editors from various companies, and yeah, I like this. It's nice. It's all just built in right into the browser. It makes it also usable for a Ross and usable for a Carrie. Let's say I need to jump in and do something. I just log in, and doesn't matter which computer I'm on, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm editing. And like, no matter what your skill level is, it's going to be usable for you at this higher level or, or yep. basic level. Yeah, yeah. All the WYSIWYG tools, what you see is what you get. But also, mm-hmm. if, if you know how to get in there and mess with the markup. You got the code? You can do it. You got the code, they'll let you do the code. You bring that code in, they'll do the code. Okay? Yeah, fancy person. Yeah. So head to squarespace.com slash no for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code no to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, the website of champions. While I got you here, okay. I also wanted to talk to you about our good friend, Jody Sam's White Shine. Oh, yeah. How's Jody doing? She's so good. Anything going on in her life? Well, her oldest son is just the best, you know? He's always sending her sweet messages like this one here in my pocket. Oh, yeah. The one that says, happy birthday, mom. I'm so thankful for your eagerness to show me and all your other kids this big, strange world we're a part of. Keep looking for the weird stuff, and we just might find it. Fingers crossed it's some flavor of Bigfoot. Yes, I love that this fell in an episode where we talked about Bigfoot. Oh, yes. Nice. (laughs) Congratulations, Jody Sam's White Shine. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And hey, while you're here, listen to this Maximum Fun show. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it? And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, or you can't decide what is the best nut, or can't agree on what is the best cheese. Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal, only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively, for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. Okay, so he also writes a lot about things that go bump in the night and how you detect them. Oh, good. So he had his own EMF meter, his Gauss meter, multiple things to detect electromagnetic fields. 
And he said, therefore, these are quite useful in detecting the presence of a ghost. I'm like, why? Yeah, that's a what, what is That's it what about, they've always said. What why is it about though? a ghost? Yeah, he definitely didn't solve that one. No fresh theory there. If, if anybody hasn't heard of this, it's those ghost meters that go beep, beep, beep on ghost hunting shows, but they <laughs> just measure electromagnetic shit around you. So like bring it next to this computer in front of me and it'll also go beep, beep, beep. So he has this photo that shows all of his tools of the trade, his infrared temperature gun, his EMF listener, his stud finder, his gauss meter, his electronic compass, and his night vision scope. Nice. Oh, this is interesting. He does not like mediums. Okay. He says, I totally discount the abilities of mediums who I distinguish from psychics. Mediums claim the ability to communicate with the dead and fall into two categories, either blatant frauds Whoa. or legitimate psychics who are being tricked by demonic forces acting as though they are the deceased. Oh. Interesting. Doesn't seem consistent with some of his other theories about dead people. Yeah. But he has- Okay, the- so you cannot talk to the dead directly for Travis, but you can talk to angels and demons. Yeah, his conception of ghosts seems yeah, to be c- kind of like the just energetic remains of people. Oh, the but- holothocene of a person. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> That's a callback to something you yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good callback to the Academy uh, of Consciousness. Yeah, and the <laughs> morpho holothoses. Yeah, good times. <laughs> so he notices in all his observational wit that the most haunted places in America are often located near or on top of burial grounds, a major water source. Oh, like oh, okay. uh, Gettysburg. And the Alcatraz prison. Okay, yes, that's on an island, yes. So the theory is that human energy is being trapped in these water supplies like a battery holds power. (laughs) Even the Bible states that water is the home of ghosts. Job 26.5 reads, the departed spirits tremble under the waters. Okay. <laughs> wow. What? Oh, Travis. Uh, <laughs> okay, he has another theory. So then, like, every time you're on a ship, shouldn't you, like, see a bunch of ghosts? I'm going on a ship soon. Am I going to be haunted the whole time? Could How does be. this work? Well, if there were other humans whose energies were trapped in that water, so maybe out in the middle of the ocean, not as much of that action. Maybe more. See, look, I'm working maybe with more. your theories, Travis. I'm working with your energies. <laughs> maybe more, though. Water has a memory. <gasps> Whoa. Oh. I don't think he tied that one in. But he says another causal factor could be the presence of high energy wires. In at least two cases I'm aware of, which is all it takes for him to create a theory, apparently. (laughs) Homes that were the site of hauntings were located directly under high voltage wires. Maybe they capture or contain energy in the same manner as water does. And maybe we can use electricity as a means to free the trapped energy. Which just sounds like Ghostbusters, but And okay. he's heard of two instances yep. where they were under high voltage wires. High voltage wires. So there you go. That's two. all we need. Sure. Yeah. Two. Yeah. yeah. You're as impressed as I was. He believes in EVP. He says, I've had personal experiences. That's electronic voice phenomena. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced that it is a very real and interesting phenomenon. Well, sure. So he had various stories of recording EVPs and locations and it's exactly what you would expect you know like oh i asked this question and then later on i played it back and i could hear there was a male voice and it said this or i couldn't tell what she was saying so ghost hunters do this they run a tape recorder next to them and then they go are you here grandma and then they just wait a little while and then later they listen back and 
sometimes just the way things get recorded, you'll hear a sound mm-hmm. you didn't recognize in the room at the time. And now on re-listening, it sounds like a voice or a knock or some kind of response. Yeah. And the, a lot of examples of this same kind of anomaly hunting. Like one time he went to a site to investigate it and the camera refused to take any more pictures after a certain ah! point. And again, just jumping to assumptions, he knew that this was the site messing with him. Oh, it's got to be. It would be great if you find out that that's like a disposable role and it was at its end. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. refuses. He also had various blobs and orbs and, you know. Of course. All of these just little things that just kind of added up for him to pretty impressive sightings. (laughs) There was a really weird one where there was a story of a girl falling off her bunk at a sorority and getting a bruise. Okay. And he wrote, this event is a clear-cut poltergeist attack against the girl. Whoa. But, but we were unable to determine why the attack occurred when it did and why Jody was the victim. <laughs> okay. But from reading it, it felt indistinguishable to me from someone falling out of their bed. <laughs> Which sometimes happens. It does. It, it has happened. happens without ghosts. It Can you believe happened. this? Uh-huh. Again, just like, I think there's a little bit of a paranoid mindset here where he just kind of assumes others are out to get him or mess with Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. when there are multiple possible explanations. For example, in some of these investigations of like a graveyard that he thought had been maybe the site of witch hangings, there was a white car that showed up and... (laughs) And then later on, the he, most ta- common he, color. he talks about being chased by the white car. It's like, oh, no, the people stopped and maybe it looked at him, and wondered what he was doing. Yeah. But it wasn't like following him or anything like that. It's just uh, my, my someone is like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A parent is like this. Okay. Thinks, thinks that people follow them and like. Why is that guy in this movie theater? Why is this guy behind me? And it's like, well, because human population density. I, sometimes people are behind us. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. I've driven with one of my friend's dads and just the whole drive, he kept saying, that guy's riding behind me just to get on my nerves. And, oh, sure, <laughs> wow. get into that lane, why don't you? Oh, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to, and everything was about like how people were purposefully trying to irritate him. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Theory of mind is so bad. Even the people that you know the best, your mm-hmm. theory of mind is supposed to be correct around a third of the time. The people you know the best. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. I've just given up on it. I've just, whenever I think I know what's in someone's head, I'm like, you don't know. Yeah. You think you know, but you don't know. That's, I think, a healthy exercise, also just as an effort to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. My sister, I think, is like, naturally very good at this she'll kind of bend over backwards to ascribe a positive Uh reason to someone's actions really good uh, rather than taking offense and i think i've learned a lot from that like oh yeah let's let's try that make the effort yeah and be like okay maybe they just found out that their mother's in the hospital and that's why they're driving like that Uh or i yeah i totally misunderstood something or whatever this was just a, a fun little aside in 2002 a local journalist explained to travis that actually there weren't any hangings of witches here so that's probably not the cause of these hauntings But then apparently the same journalist said, according to Travis, that if there are any spirits appearing at the cemetery, they are the result of the local Indian burial grounds. Uh, So you started so well, local journalist. (laughs) And then finally, the other case that he cracked was the mad gasser of 
<gasps> oh, it must be wherever Drew's from. So Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> oh, I see. I see what happened here. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, What's so my- a mad gasser? Is that someone who like gasses people? Uh huh. Okay. So I was going to say most of our listeners or many of our listeners might recognize this phrase "mad gasser" and think of the the mad gasser of Mattoon. This was a case from 1944 in Illinois where this stranger. Sort of a Jack the Ripper type figure. We have no details about him. Just he would show up in the middle of the night and he would, I always have a hard time remembering the name of this. He would spray with a a little flit can. You see it on old cartoons Mm -hmm. where- I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's got like a little cylinder attached to it and then you kind of Mm -hmm. pump action this thing. Yeah. And it shoots out a little spray of gas. So there had been this account of him coming by and like trying to- anesthetize or do something insidious to people by spraying into their houses. And then they would like feel partial paralysis and oh god, this caught on. And so you had like for two weeks, this town was kind of terrorized. Everyone reporting to the police. Oh, the mad gassers come by my place. And just to give the quick resolution of this, it was shown to be just kind of a panic, like uh, oh, uh-huh. everybody's sort of freaking out. And once they had this in their mind, mm-hmm. any odd thing they heard mm-hmm. or experienced, mm-hmm. oh, that's the mad gasser. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I had been familiar with that one, but he was investigating this earlier 1933 mad gasser in Botetort County, Virginia. And it was really hard for me to understand kind of like where he'd gotten these original accounts because he said most people never talk about it when they're talking about the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. But he was, again, taking these on face value and saying, okay, well, here's what we know. A Chevy was spotted. You know, there was a partial footprint here. Now, I got to say, in all of these gassing situations, nobody was killed. You know, nobody was permanently injured. Mm-hmm. That, that's never even been part of the claim but also there's just been endless rampant speculation on what type of gas could have done the things that were described Mm. uh, like allowing people to be just paralyzed in the legs and then later on you know just spring back into normal activity right but most of the ones you might think of seem to be just ruled out by the stories themselves but all signs seem to point to it having been mass hysteria i see Apparently, he near the very end of the book, he says, oh, and I just recently learned that there was an even earlier case, like in the 20s. Oh, okay. So, okay. Far be it for me to let that inform my theory. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so he did talk about how, okay, maybe there was a person who lived in Virginia and then traveled later to Mattoon. And maybe if I dig up the census records, I can figure out who was in both places. Sure, fine. But far be it from Travis just to rest on one theory. Of course not. He says it could also Trav? no. Could also be that a visitor from an alien race might want to colonize planet Earth and then alter the chemical composition of the atmosphere. So <laughs> what would you do in that situation? Well, you might like do a test run to see can the humans withstand these chemicals and <laughs> Yeah, you see where this is going. You don't need to invent all this. So then he thought, okay, but maybe the reason like they had to do it multiple times is maybe the first gas they tried failed, but they tried maybe a a subsequent different test of a new gas to see if they could reformat our atmosphere. Buddy. (laughs) It's like, this is so interesting because his whole thing is wanting outsider knowledge. Yeah. He's not satisfied with just knowledge. It has to be... 
Mm. Knowledge other people don't have. Oh, yeah. Right? That's Mm -hmm. his definition of a cult. Mm -hmm. So now he's investigating an area where actually knowledge is robust and we know what's going on and we're clear. And so it makes his territory of unclaimed land, Mm -hmm. unclaimed information, shrinkingly smaller and smaller until he's saying the craziest bullshit possible. This is where you find yourself if you will not collaborate with other people. You Mm. will not take information from them. You must do this on your own. Ah, I like the through line you found here. Thank you. I will take no other theories, no competing information. I was going to say, this is already a better theory than I have (laughs) espoused throughout this whole recording. Yeah, so he had even more variations on that. But I'm thinking, well, what about you saying that the aliens are future versions of us? Because now you're talking about... Oh, yeah, yeah. Are they all gassy? (laughs) You're talking about them trying to genetically manipulate us to create a hybrid that will live in the atmosphere that they can live in. What? And and he says... The theory that the Mad Gasser was an alien is a long shot, I know, and highly unlikely. Oh, okay. But it does fall in the realm of extreme possibility. Sure, what doesn't? (laughs) Sure. So there was another chapter in which he talked about this witch doctor of Wallopin. I could be saying that completely wrong, but it was a Dr. Santee, Frederick Santee. Okay. It's like a child genius, graduated from Harvard at 17 Mm. and was drawn to languages, but then later, I think, finding himself like in a Midwest town or something where he couldn't use his intellect to its greatest capability, he became very drawn to the occult. Okay. Originally, Travis went into this thinking, oh, I'm going to expose all the horrible deeds of this Satanist group or this occultic group. So Mm. it sounded like he had kind of bias thoughts on the occult. Oh, okay. But... It's like his I joined the OTO. Yeah, yeah. Like he described it on first blush as an evil coven that practiced several kinds of black magic. Okay. And he was Christian at some point, though we don't know when. Okay. This is a great quote. So he finds the surviving widow of Dr. Santee. He said, having the opportunity to speak with the head witch of Santee's coven meant that all my questions would be answered and I could be sure of hearing the truth. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, okay, you're talking to, you're going to get a first-hand account. That's yeah. great, but that doesn't mean necessarily you're going to oh, get right. the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, eyewitnesses, bad. But very long story short, he ended up becoming their chronicler and writing kind of a history, which he sort of included in this book. And I think this was probably his entry point into the occult himself. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Uh, Okay, just a few other fun notes from the epilogue that I thought, again, were very telling. He said, in early September 2006, so I guess not in time for publication, my team actually had two encounters with what we believe was a Bigfoot. Okay. I came closer than ever to seeing one of the magnificent creatures, although it was obscured by heavy forest cover. I can now say from personal experience, that they do smell quite horrible. (laughs) And another little final dig, he writes, in closing, it should be noted that the pursuit of the paranormal can be an obsessive, frustrating, and even dangerous endeavor. The weakened spirit will not last long when confronted by forces they cannot hope to understand and quickly give up, while the noble-minded will try to persevere against conventional science. Yeah, of course. And shrug off derision from their family, friends, and colleagues, and podcasters. <laughs> you I, must be the outsider or it is not knowledge. Yeah, I think you're onto something. And you, you often hear that when like, thinking about the appeal of conspiracy theory, a lot of it seems to rest on secret knowledge and being like the one person who has that alternate 
story that everyone else is missing out on. And I think having a little bit of that suspicious personality. Yeah. 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 Well, there you go. That was my book report for Travis McHenry's Into the Abyss. Boy, there's so much stuff of his I want to read now. Yeah. Or watch, imbibe. I was trying to find that Life on Mars film, the yeah. half hour one from 2007. It turns out, hey, there's a lot of things called that. Oh, sure. That makes sense. With that title. Oh, yeah. Drew, when I said Life on Mars, he was like, the TV show? <laughs> yeah, there was a TV show and apparently a, a forthcoming movie from John Krasinski. Uh, yeah, I tried looking this up and not streaming anywhere, that's for sure. And I couldn't find a download. I couldn't find like a website uh-huh. that was active that said like, hey, we're the production company and here's how you get it. Amazon had an option like if you order the DVD, we'll print it for you and send it to you and said, this is no longer available. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that one's been buried pretty deep. Okay, gotcha. Well, Trav, if you hear this and if you still have a copy, I would love to see Life on Mars. Same. So I also went and looked back through every time Travis had been mentioned in newspapers. Okay. And it gave me a nice big picture of his life that I just wanted to pull back for a second and tell okay. you about. So he was born in June 1980. Okay. That's good to have a, an exact date. So, yeah, all right. About, not sure when about in my June, age, a little yeah. older. Mm-hmm. Grew up in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around 2001, he founds Achea. I'm not sure how to say this. A C H A E A. Seems like a, a good. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I'm Ikea, not sure. maybe? Ikea. He probably founded Ikea. Ikea. <laughs> uh, oh, Ikea. Sure. Oh, yeah, that's probably right. Ikea. Okay. And I'm not sure what that founding consisted of, possibly an earlier website. Mm. But I'm pretty sure that Ikea is West Arctica, that he just later rebranded it as West Arctica, oh, which is a better name. Interesting. Okay. But quite enterprising. Already at 21, mm-hmm. founding a micronation. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I still haven't gotten around to founding a nation <laughs> of any sort. He is consistent about saying 2001, and he was saying that early on, but I could only actually track it back to 2004. Okay. So at least 2004, he says 2001. Okay. So in 2004, Akia becomes West Arctica, and that's just in time for Travis to write to the government of Sudan and tell them to stop the Darfur genocide, because now oh. he's the leader of a nation. Oh, wow. So he's, okay. Yep. You see, you, like see what, that. you see what he's doing. I like that. You see what he's doing. Yeah. I'm going to sue Dan. <laughs> You don't. I'm going to sue Sudan. Yeah, that, that's probably the level of his analysis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I'm all for an independent voice uh, yeah, calling absolutely. for yeah. a I stop mean, to hostility. I think, exactly. I think that's what he's doing. Okay. He's working the media machine. He's being clever about cool. it. Uh, no complaints. And happens to agree with my point of view, so no complaints. <laughs> okay, so he begins picking up local press in 2005 with the Detroit Free Press with the article, Dreamers Lay Claim to Their Own Nations. And by this time, he's serving in the Navy when this gets printed. Okay, his eight-year intelligence stint. Oh, it was an intelligence. Yeah. Did you tell me that? Well, I that, forgot. that's what he's told us. But yeah, okay. like when he mentions it, he says he worked in intelligence. Oh, interesting. That went right by me. Hmm. Okay. An intelligence specialist with a focus on anti-terrorism. Oh, interesting. Man, there's 
So much so going much. on with this guy. So much. I would love to hear that verified. It seems very possible that it's true, but it also seems like it could be the truth plus 30%. Right. Not saying this necessarily about Travis, but I think we've seen so many other people like L. Ron Hubbard who have mm-hmm. taken a little tour of duty in the military and then really expanded and kind of told it in a way that makes it sound like more than it is. Yes. Russ McCamey comes to mind. So in 2006, he goes by Baron of Dunlace in a friend's wedding announcement in the local paper. Okay. In the same year, he's <laughs> accused of writing bad checks and fleeing the cops with expired plates. Oh. He's charged a $500 fine. Only one question. Yeah. What is Dunlace? I mean, I assume it's D-U-N-L-A-C-E something he made up. Yeah. Or somebody else's mi- oh, micronation. That would be interesting. That he's been, you know, because he's a grand duke. Of West yeah. Arctica, so maybe... Wait, okay, there's a Dunlace Castle in Ireland. Okay. I wonder if he's one of these people... I was almost one of these people. <laughs> like, you're in second, third grade, and your parents are like, you know, you're royalty in such and such mm. a place. And then you find out this really means like, oh, some family can sort of trace back our connection <laughs> to something that's... Uh, and we would have lived in a castle in this theoretical other universe where anyone cared about this. Okay, okay. My parents told me stuff like this. Got I it. wonder if it's something like that. Who knows? Okay, but uh, okay. got in some trouble with the law. Yeah, yeah. Minor trouble, but made the papes, made the local papes. In 2007, his first child is born, a son, and that's the year he releases Life on Mars. Okay. 2008, he picks up local press again. This time, it's for his foray into acting. Mm. He has gotten a small role in Body of Lies with Russell Crowe. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think he's uncredited in it, but, but we'll, you know. We'll give him that credit. Yeah, you know, he, he was... Pulled forth from the crowd of extras to have this like interaction. And so that makes it in the local paper. And he mentions that he's probably going to move to L.A. and start his acting career. He made good on that one. Yeah, I think maybe he was bi-coastal, bi-statal for a little bit. Because he's still showing up in the Pennsylvania papers quite a bit. But he moved to L.A. at some point. Yeah, he's here now. Okay, but no cover of National Geographic for having discovered Bigfoot yet. (laughs) Right. Not that I saw, not that I saw. Okay. This is all newspapers.com research, which is most of the major papers are on there. But I'm asking myself, have I ever seen National Geographic on there? I'm not sure. Hmm. Okay, a second kid is born in either late 2008 or early 2009. Life seemed stable for a while. Then in 2014, he gets married. He's in a dispute with his landlord over unpaid rent that makes the paper. Now, we've seen him mention that he was married once to a man and married once to a woman. Mm. So I'm guessing maybe the first marriage was the source of his kids. And then the second marriage is oh, to good a man? question. I'm not sure. I guess I didn't really track the names. Okay. But that struck me as interesting because mm-hmm. I know friends who have been in a relationship and then kind of realized, you know, this isn't for me and then married, you know, mm-hmm. someone of a different gender or the same gender. But at least the way he very briefly introduced it sounded like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like he was attracted to a woman, was married to a woman, oh, uh, was attracted to a man, married to a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in... 2014, he gets married. He's in a dispute with his landlord over unpaid rent. And then he's in a domestic dispute with his wife, and they're both fined by police for the disturbance. So, you know, some little bit of personal chaos here. Okay. But then that same year, the UK outlet The Independent reported on Micronations, and that seems to be the first place that it's mentioned that he's not in the Navy anymore and that they didn't want him doing this weird Micronations thing. Okay. And who can blame them? (laughs) 
<laughs> so then in 2015, he starts saying on his website that he exploited this loophole in the Antarctic Treaty, and that's how he pulled this off. Mm. And that's when he begins calling himself the Grand Duke. Okay. And that's also when he attends Microcon in Anaheim, which we talked about earlier, down the street from Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And the Associated Press wires that story out, including this large, handsome photo of him. And that goes bonkers because AP stories go bonkers. Yeah. So then he kind of disappears for a little bit as far as newspaper reporting. And then, of course, 2023, he's at Conscious Life Expo. September 2023, West Arctica is mentioned in the Boston Globe. Mm. So that just happened. We'll see how that affects his uh, audience size. Okay. And then in October 2023, he takes on a new venture. He opens in OnlyFans. Yes. Okay. So we saw this, that he had an OnlyFans account. And I said, Carrie, would you be willing to sign up for his OnlyFans account? And I said, I sure would. Okay. So you've seen him naked a lot more than I have. Have you seen him naked at all? No. Then yes. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him naked. I've seen him jerk off. Oh, yeah. okay. It's a lot of jerking off. Well, listen. Yes, I am indeed one of his OnlyFans because I think there are only like around a dozen of us because it's brand new. Sure. Oh, yeah. We may bring a lot more into the fold. Yeah, yeah, sure. So if you've never heard of OnlyFans, it is a modeling site of various types. There are people who simply model in the straightforward way you think of that word. Mm -hmm. And then there's the more pornographic modeling, people showing you them jerking off or having sex or whatever. To me, tell me if this is wrong. It seems kind of like a Patreon, but one mm -hmm. that allows for pornographic content. Yeah. And then you can... Like, form a back and forth chat relationship with a particular model that you're really into and be like, hey, I'd really like to see someone come on your tits or whatever. And then they say yes or no, you pay for it, and they send you that specific thing you wanted. All right. Yeah. Transactional, everybody's in on the agreement. Yeah, yeah. Cool by me. <laughs> so I went and paid $9.99 a month hey, to hey. sign up. Okay. And yeah, I would say that his OnlyFans is kind of what you expect. It's, you know, it's a shirtless, handsome guy showing you his dick. So yeah, let's see. Some of the stuff you can get, he'll rate your dick pic for five bucks. He'll insult and degrade your dick pic for 15 bucks. Oh, interesting. So that'll cost you more. Three times as much. But some people really like to be ashamed yeah. by somebody else okay right exactly right. rate your hole pick oh your hole okay <laughs> i just really had to think about which hole you meant I, I had to drop the w off the hole oh. and then it made sense okay fair. It, fair but yeah not everybody has a dick oh, and some true. people have a dick and a hole yeah yeah I, when i hear hole pick i assumed butthole but you know yeah. you're right to wonder which hole i'm sure whichever out. hole you send him he'll probably rate yeah, it for yeah yeah that's probably it would be very funny if you sent him like your your inner ear cavity and he's like absolutely not now it's a little tempting to ask like which demon is this dick associated with yeah yeah maybe oh, he can yeah. do that kind of service okay yeah yeah, try it out. Try it out, people. All right. Tribute vid of me coming on your picture, a hundred bucks. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, he has to go print it. Supply and demand. Yeah, that's a lot more work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If it's glossy, that'll cost you. Yeah. And then special requests, ask for something special and I'll let you know how much. Okay. And then there are the posts. And I don't know, he has a sort of sweet presentation, like I think he's very new to this, mm -hmm. and he's kind of nervous, and so his videos are sort of like, 
half confident, half sort of shrinking violet. Okay. Kind of, kind okay. of vibe. So it's, there's sort of like a charming sweet. Like Understandable. I, yeah. Like you feel very let in on a personal moment. Yeah. Um, on the vulnerability that you're sharing. And I guess maybe because of that and because I was aware that I'd be talking about it <laughs> to other people, I didn't watch a lot of the videos. I just sort of scanned through and saw oh. like, what's <laughs> what's happening? But um, it sounds like there's a fair amount of content already. E- totally. Yeah, yeah. So, like, in November, he posted about his first night in his Las Vegas townhouse. It was a really sketchy part of town, he says. Has he moved to Las Vegas? Maybe. Or maybe he's bi-coastal and intra-coastal? Yeah, maybe he has moved to Vegas because he said he eventually put up a screen over the fence. Okay. So I wouldn't do that at my Airbnb. Right. But it does sound like it's probably good that he put the screen up over the fence because after that, he tugged his dick until he came. Okay. So yeah, it seems like, yeah, go ahead and put up the screen. October 30th, Man Crush Monday. There's pics of him in his hotel bathroom in Chicago earlier this year. And, okay. You know, Carrie, he's kind of flexing for the camera. Carrie's turning around cute. the laptop. Okay. Yeah. Just seeing him like mid torso up. Yeah, he's wearing glasses. He's got his uh, arm lifted up so you can see his underarm hair. Yeah, and then one of him looking muscly uh, in a black shirt. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I screenshotted that one (laughs) such that you don't see his dick. And I just realized I did that a lot. Okay, here we go. Here's his dick. Uh, see, see above the urinal oh I see okay I was looking at the photo above that which is kind of cropped right where yeah the Whoops. penis is and I wasn't <laughs> sure what okay but there we go there's his penis but okay looks yeah. like a looks like a penis <laughs> yep so you'll see that a lot perfectly he, nice penis yeah perfectly lovely pee pee <laughs> yeah he just like he'll go to the woods take a hike and then take off all his clothes and jerk off for you okay yeah okay. so it's mostly that sometimes videos sometimes pics pictures of him looking cute in his underwear one time just taking a full shower okay. one time fucking a flashlight interesting he's uh i mean he's a, a fit good looking dude yeah totally go travis one old shower pick from 2007 that he had kept. He was like, I'm 27 here. And okay. I was like, oh, wow, you kept this. Yeah. I mean, good for you. But man, I I don't know where those are. <laughs> where your old nudes are. <laughs> yeah, where are all my old nudes? They could be anywhere. Here's a really handsome photo of him looking in a mirror. Oh, yeah. So let's see. I'm going to pick a random post and read you the caption. So let's see. October 22nd. Solo Sunday. Every Sunday, you get to see me tugging my dick. Consider the huge load of cum a reward for each week you spend as a subscriber here. Also, yeah, I have a perpetually large amount of cum in my balls at all times. Ellipsis. Thought of various comments about that, but I got nothing. But okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you can uh, subscribe to. I was going to say, then you have to kind of be mindful of, well, I better hold it till later so I have enough for the OnlyFans. Absolutely. But maybe it's just not a problem for him. Yeah, I mean, I think location, location, location. Where are you when that happens? (laughs) You know, if you are home by yourself, perfect. You have a camera right there. Or out in the woods. Right. But if you're at Ikea... Well, thank you for signing up for this OnlyFans account. You're welcome. I yeah. Pre- no, I appreciate I'm... you doing it so I didn't have to create a login. <laughs> oh, sure, Ross. Create a login. Okay, sure, 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 sure. I'm not this... trying to claim I'm pure on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that particular website. That particular I do not website. Have. I can claim complete <laughs> ignorance of. 
Yeah, I kept feeling as I was looking at it, it was almost like a sisterly feeling, like an oh, yeah. I wanted to protect him okay. feeling. Well, I don't know where exactly that was coming from. That I, makes I, sense. Yeah, maybe I... It was coming from the woods. It was coming from <laughs> the back porch. He has, you know, a dozen people following him and many more people will listen to this. And so I don't know. I, yeah. was, just, I was just cognizant of like, oh, you're you're doing something that's absolutely fine. And some people are going to mock you for it. So I, yeah. I want to be clear about. Let's not do that, anybody. <laughs> that, that this is absolutely fine that he's doing this. I feel like uh, we or, might. Or great. Yeah. Or great. Yeah. We so, might increase part, his subscribership. Great. Yeah, go. What I'm saying is, go and buy the pornography of Travis McHenry if you want it. The only relevance here is that he's just such an enterprising fellow. My God, he does everything. He's got so many fingers and so many things. He just wants to seize life and try this and try that. Yes. Do you want to make a movie with him? Sure. You want to make a play? Okay. You want to form a nation? He'll do that. You want him to rate your whole? He doesn't care which one. He doesn't even specify. <laughs> what a friendly man. Just takes life by the whatever. <laughs> whatever you offer. The only way we would have found him is by going to the Conscious Life Expo and uh, attending his lecture on the occult, which he is a widely renowned expert on, even though we've only heard that from him after six years of study. And yeah, yeah I just... I feel like that takes a certain personality to be able to say, you're like, you know what? I'm going to start publishing books. And yes, I feel eminently qualified to talk about this. <laughs> and I think I have a hint of that. You've got to have a hint of that, too. We started we make this a podcast. Ding Ding podcast yeah, from my floor in we 2011. We stumble through all these topics together. I really think the difference is this one thing, this like cutting yourself off from the knowledge of others or not. And he kind of prides himself on like, no, Hmm. I find the knowledge that everyone else disagrees with and I use that. And I think that's where he got screwed over. And a desire to express and be out there and Mm -hmm. interact with people in in this way as a a creator. And now I have OnlyFans, of course, uh, disproportionately represented in my mind because we just talked about (laughs) that. But, you know, with his books, his plays, his movie well, movies, he's been an actor and a writer on that one. And the song he wrote. Oh, yes. I got to go download that song. <laughs> yeah, I have it saved on my phone now. So yeah. I can listen to it whenever I need to. Yeah, I think we're accidental fans of this guy. And we're not the only fans. We're not the only fans. There are a good 10 of us. So there you go. Well, that was an interesting dive into the occult and then a dive into Travis McHenry. Yes, which you can get for $9.99. Well, I guess that's it for this show. Our music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. And this episode was edited by Victor Figueroa. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Yes, please. And tell a friend. Leave us a positive review. All those things that you do to let a podcast know that you like them. Yeah, you know what those things are. So other people can find the podcast. Write to your congressman and ask them to make National Ono Ross and Carey Day. Especially if your congressman is Mike... Johnson? Johnson. (laughs) My brain blanked out. (laughs) It's such a generic name. I don't think he's the person to target. Uh, I don't think he'll do it. He could stand to listen to a little more Ono Ross and Carey. Oh, sure, (sighs) sure. Oh, I also wanted to say I have a podcast rec. Ooh, okay, what is it? I don't usually do this. But The Memory Hole, a podcast by Jenna Martin. Okay. She's a novelist who was writing a novel about repressed memory and false memory. Oh. And in the context of researching that book, 
she got really interested in the nonfiction side of, mm. of the memory wars of the 80s and 90s in particular and their echoes today. Okay. And I'm in her last episode, which is episode six, but I recommend the whole thing. It's definitely a somber listen, but okay. she has a very informed and interesting take, and I, I really liked it. Very cool. Yeah. And while we're shouting out podcasts, I'll mention our good friend Richard Saunders, the first person to interview us. Oh, that's right. He was. At the Skeptic Zone, same place, Las Vegas, at the Flamingo. Uh, nice. We were there together at SciCon this year, and uh, I was briefly interviewed for his show. So if you want to get a few updates and a little behind the scenes, you can find it the latest episode. He may have published a new one by now, knowing him. And what's his show called? The Skeptic Zone. Excellent. And remember... Hey, thank you so much for subscribing to my OnlyFans. I'm really excited you're here. Uh, I have a lot of great content. I try to post brand new stuff every single week, according to the schedule you can see on the menu. And I know you're probably really here to see dick pics and maybe videos of me fucking people. So you're going to see plenty of that. And just to say thank you, here's a little something something. With the old famous Pikachu. No, Nintendo is not one of my official sponsors. Hope you enjoy my content. Hey, Sydney, you're a physician and the co-host of Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine, right? That's true, Justin. Is it true that our medical history podcast is just as good as a visit to your primary care physician? No, Justin, that is absolutely not true. Uh, however, our podcast is funny and interesting and a great way to learn about the medical misdeeds of the past, as well as some current not-so-legit healthcare fads. So you're saying that by listening to our podcast, people will feel better. Sure. And isn't that the same reason that you go to the doctor? Well, uh, you could say that. But and our podcast is free? Yes, it is free. You heard it here first, folks. Sawbones, Meryl Tour of Misguided Medicine, right here on Maximum Fun. Just as good as going to the doctor. No, no, no. Still not just as good as going to the doctor, but but pretty good. It's up there. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.